John 14, verses 15 through 31. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you, be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On, the day you will realize, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. Peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. All right, amen. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you for reading that. All right, morning, everybody. So good to be with you all. That was a nice, hearty good morning. I like that. They're with me already. Uh, If we haven't met yet, my name is Kenny. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad to be with you today. We're in a series on the Gospel of John uh, for this week and next week, and uh, so I'm I'm glad to be speaking with you. Um, I haven't always uh, been a preacher. Um, uh, At one point in my life, I was a rock star. Um, (laughs) Not, well, not quite a rock star, but I was a, I was a musician, or at least I went on tour once, right? So not, not, not it was during the summer, and um, uh, summer of 2006, I was in college, very excited to go on this month-long tour. I think we actually, I went back in the archives, and I think we have a picture. <clears throat> that was in Michigan. Right? See those shoes? Look at those. <laughs> Ed Sheeran. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 
Uh, all right, let's get that out of there. <laughs> That's, I don't want that. Um, see, the good thing about starting with that picture is that the rest of it's uphill from there, right? So I can't, can't go lower than that. Um, no, but I was ex- very excited to go on this tour. i was been playing with this band for a while, and we were getting amped up. But a few days before the tour, um, something really tragic happened in my... Um, well, uh, well, just really sad. It wasn't abrupt, but my grandfather died. He passed away. And uh, it wasn't like a surprise. Like It wasn't out of nowhere. We knew his health wasn't doing well, but he died. And I was very close to him, and, and he, shel- um, he helped shape my faith. And uh, a lot of you guys, if you've, uh, if you've been here, if you've uh, heard my sermons before, you've probably heard some of his stories, and he's probably even helped shape your faith. Um, and I was honored by my family to ask to speak at his funeral, be one of the speakers at his funeral. And um, I did that, and it was, it was very moving and touching. And then we had the funeral, and we buried him. And then the next day, I went on this tour um, to 14 different states, and I was with these guys. And, and like I said earlier, it wasn't like this. Like, don't, don't think of like a, a big bus. Think of like a little van, and like uh, some of the meals were eating ramen noodles dry, like they were chips, <laughs> like that kind of tour. And, um, but as I was on that tour, I, I missed him, you know, and I thought of him and I can think of different times where I had my journal out and I was just thinking about my grandfather and I would think about the things he said and the jokes he made and the wisdom he had. And, um, and I, would, I would wonder, you know, if I was in a situation where I didn't really know how to act, I would wonder to myself, what would he act like? What would... Um, what would he do if he was in my shoes? And I missed him, but obviously I felt distant from him because he was no longer there, right? Because he had passed away, because he had died. We were separated by death, and I couldn't really be with him. I could just be with the memory of him and how I remember him. And I have the hope of being with him again, but I just had the memory of him. I bring that up because we've all felt that. Everyone's felt that. Everyone's felt that separation uh, that death brings, um, the separation from a loved one who was very near and dear to us. But I also bring it up because I think many of us feel that same kind of distance with God in our relationship with God. And I think that all of us are at least familiar with the feeling of, of being, uh, feeling distant from God. Or like we want to interact with him, but we're just like, it's like we're interacting with a memory of him, or we're just interacting with his word. And maybe you're here today and you feel that today. Uh, Maybe you wonder where God is or if you can experience that kind of relationship with him and not just know about him, but actually truly know him, like Vince was talking about last week. He did a great job talking about the difference between knowing about God and really knowing God, right? If you want to learn how to not just be God's Facebook stalker, go back and listen to last week's sermon. It was so good. And, and in that spirit, I want to continue and talk about this week, how believers can walk and experience union with God, really be united with God, because that's what I think Jesus is talking about here today. In this passage, he's talking to his closest followers, it's, it's the Last Supper, and Judas Iscariot has already left to betray him. He's talking with the 11 apostles, and he knows what's about to happen. He's about to go to the cross, 
He's going to suffer. He's going to die. He's going to be buried. He also knows he's going to rise again and be resurrected. And he knows that he's going to ascend to the Father to prepare a place for all of his followers. And knowing that, Jesus just unloads in this chapter, and he says, let me, give you, let me give you some instructions for how to live and how to follow me when I'm not here. Because you're about to do this without me here. But as we look at this passage, we see that even though they're not going to see him, it's not that he's not with them. Do you guys see that? You're not going to see me, but... but I'm going to be with you. And the same is true for us. Even though we don't see him now, God is with us. The message of the Christian faith is not that God is just around us or that we can know about him, but God will live with us and in us. And so I want to talk about that today, experiencing union with God, being aligned with God a sense of God is with me. Moving from knowing about God to truly living life with God. And I want to look at that through the words of Jesus and, and, and what he gives us, which um, the way I want to look at it is the four promises that he gives us here and also the pathway that he gives us to union with God. Is that all right? All right. Let's go there then. Let's start out with the promises. First of all, Jesus, um, if you have a new international uh, version, the, the whole headline for this section of scripture says, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And he lays out a lot, uh, several things in here about what the Holy Spirit is going to do in the believer's life. But the first one he says there in the first few verses, if you love me, you'll obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor or another advocate to be with you forever. The first promise is that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to come into your life and he's going to be an advocate to be with you forever. Now, depending on what translation you have, it might say advocate, it might say counselor, it might say comforter, it might say, I think that's it. <laughs> but all those things are good, right? I wouldn't love to have a comforter with me forever an advocate, a counselor, helper. helper. Yeah, that's right. Helper. ESV says helper. The first thing I just want to get right off the bat, that the Holy Spirit, Jesus has promised the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and that the Holy Spirit is a person, not an impersonal force. Jesus isn't saying, he's not a Jedi. He's not saying, may the force be with you. I'm leaving, but you'll just kind of sense me. Right? He doesn't say, it will be with you. He says, he will be with you. And throughout the whole passage, he's saying, he, this is a person. This is a person that has feelings. This is a person that has excitement. This is a person that can be angered. This is a person that can wrestle with you. And Jesus promises that we're going to have an advocate to be with us forever. Now, if you look at that word, the reason it's so hard to translate is because it's a, a little bit broader context than the, than the original word they use, but it, they're, what they're getting at is the sense of like a legal counsel, a legal advocate, someone who's going to make a case for you, someone who's going to defend you, someone who's going to fight for you from within you. That's the Holy Spirit. 
The first promise is the Holy Spirit is fighting for you from within you. He's guiding you where where Jesus would go. He's keeping you away from what Jesus wouldn't do. And he's encouraging you to do. He's fighting with you to obey Jesus. 1 Timothy says that God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's the Holy Spirit's role, one of the Holy Spirit's role in the believer's life is to fight for you from within. Have you ever felt a nudge from the Holy Spirit? You're just going about your day and then all of a sudden, God just puts something in your heart. You need to serve that person. Or you need to stop and say hello to that person and ask them how their day's going. That's the Holy Spirit advocating for you and fighting for you to follow Jesus from within. Have you ever felt the Holy Spirit keep you from doing something? that you were about to do. Has the Holy Spirit ever reminded you that you've been forgiven? Reminded you that, hey, your debt has been paid and I'll stand in defense of you before the court of God because you are holy and you're a child of God. That's the first promise, an advocate to be with you forever. This is all good news right here in the promises, all right? So I think y'all were waiting for like the hammer to drop or something. (laughs) These are promises, right? All right, so first promise, advocate to be with you forever. Second promise, in verse 26, verse 25 and 26, he says, all this I've spoken while still with you, right? So the indication is I'm about to leave, right? But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will do what? Will teach you all things. Teach you all things. And this clearly means that the longer you're a Christian, the better you will be at math. And languages, like, I know we have a, a math PhD over there that's laughing. <laughs> no, okay, so I don't think it means that, but Look at the setting. Jesus is saying, I'm going, I'm not going to be with you, but the Holy Spirit is going to teach you all things. As you learn to follow Jesus, you're not alone. You're not figuring it, this thing out on your own. The Holy Spirit is teaching you and guiding you and taking you through life experiences. And taking, when you read the scriptures, the Holy Spirit will illuminate the scriptures before you and apply them to your life. James 1 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should look for it really hard. <laughs> Doesn't. I actually don't have that up there, so I <laughs> you guys don't know if it says that. <laughs> no, he says, James 1, 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So if you don't think God wants to teach you how to follow him, then you're arguing with God, not me. Because Jesus promised he's going to teach us all things. The burden of discipleship and becoming more like Christ is ours as he teaches us. And the blessing is, I'm sorry, is his as he's teaching us. The burden is his and the blessing is ours. As we learn from the Holy Spirit from within what it means to follow Jesus. Third promise, 
So the advocate will be with us forever. He'll teach you all things. And the Holy Spirit, also in verse 26, will remind you of everything I've said to you. Everyone say remind. Remind. I want to start off this promise with just, just showing you that the Holy Spirit has already kept this promise to his believers. Because quite literally, who is Jesus talking to? He's talking to the 11 apostles, right? And what did they do after everything? I mean, I know when they went out of here and he was betrayed in the garden that they all scattered and they were afraid. But after he rose again and after they saw him and after they encountered him, what did they do? They went everywhere preaching and teaching the gospel and saying, you can be forgiven of your sins and you can have life forever with God. And they wrote it down. And one of them was John. And he wrote it down. And that's why we're reading it today. Because Jesus keeps his promises and the Holy Spirit reminded them of everything that he said to them. And to us, the Holy Spirit will bring scriptures to mind. The Holy Spirit will bring encouraging words to mind. When we're in a situation where we don't quite know where to go, the Holy Spirit will remind us. When we deal with a decision, there's more, for Christians, there's more than an element of should I do this or should I not do this. It's Holy Spirit, remind me of how Jesus would handle this situation. Reminding you of the gospel that Jesus declared and demonstrated for you. That's a promise from Jesus. And then the fourth promise. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will be in you. He will dwell. Everyone say dwell. It's a fun word. Dwell. To make our home. And he says this throughout the whole passage. Verse 17, verse 20, verse 23. He says the Holy Spirit will not just be with you, but he will be in you. And Jesus says, I will show myself to you. And then he says, the Father, the Father and I will come and make our home with you. We're going to dwell here in you. That's a big one. Anyone know that's a big one? Here's why that's a big one. Because sin is the main reason we experience distance from God. Sin distances us from God. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, what was their punishment? Right? Separation from God. They were kicked out of the garden. Right? And disobeying God's commands led to death. Right? But God graciously has always pursued his people. And if you look... I just love if you look, Vince has mentioned this before, but if you look through the Bible and you read the story, God is always inching closer and closer and closer to dwell with his people. He came to Abraham and he said, I know you're childless, but I'm going to make you the father of many nations and I'm going to bless the whole world through you, your family. Abraham as a 90 year old was like, okay, see how this goes. Did God keep his promise? Yeah. All right, so then the children of Israel grow up, and they're in slavery in, in Egypt. And they're becoming a nation, but they're slaves. And God leads them out through the hand of Moses, right? And then how is he leading them? Through a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, signifying God's presence with them. 
And then what does he tell Moses to do? Hey, build a tent. Let's call it a tabernacle, which means dwelling. And what's going to go on there? That's where my presence is going to dwell. And where was it situated in the camp? Way over there because we can't be near it? It was in the middle of the camp. And Israel had to build their tents all around the presence of God. But then when they became a nation, what happened? They built a temple, and that's where they interact with the presence of God. But then in John chapter 1, this book, it says, when Jesus came on the scene, the word was made flesh and dwelled, literally the same word, tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. And now Jesus says, the presence of God has been with you, but he's going to be in you. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm not going to leave you as orphans feeling distant. I'm going to come to you, and I'm going to live in you. Father, Son, and Spirit. He says, I'm going to show myself to you. He says, the Father and I are going to make our home in you, and the Spirit's going to be in you. Trinity, the perfect union of God. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will be in you. Not just a memory of God, but the manifestation of God. So united that he says this in verse 19, because I live, you also will live. Because I, I died and I've come alive, you're going to come alive in your hearts because of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me, and I am where? In you. Union with God. See, it's one thing to read the scriptures, but it's another thing for the Holy Spirit to make them come alive in you. For the Holy Spirit to teach you and say, this is what it means for you today, and this is how you need to repent. And this is a beautiful promise that you have. You ever felt that? It's one thing to know Christ dwells in your heart. It's another thing to sense it. Psalm 34 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's one thing to know in your head, sugar is sweet. Yes, it is. All right? But it's another thing to taste like some caramel on a cheesecake with the chocolates and the... the Valentine's Day might be a sacred holiday because all that sugar, right? No, just kidding. No, it's another thing to sense it and for your... Like to crave sugar because you know it's sweet, right? You don't just know it, but you know it. It's one thing to know that the Holy Spirit is in you, but it's another thing to be aware and fully sense. The Holy Spirit of God is in me. Tim Keller calls the Holy Spirit the personal divine resident in the believer's heart. That God is living in us. Now I can tell from the amens and the mmms <laughs> that... Unless that was just the, you got started thinking about candy and sugar. But I can tell, I can tell that some of you have already experienced this in your life. And I think that some of you are probably here and you're longing for that. And, 
Uh, we're getting carried away now here. You got it. Mm. I would say that even the fact that there's a longing in your heart for that should be evidence to you that the Holy Spirit is resident within you. Because he, remember, he fights for you to walk in the ways of life that God has laid out for us. Amen? But if you're here and you're, it, it, maybe you have experienced that and you're not right now, or maybe you're here and you're just longing for that and being like, well, that sounds awesome, <laughs> this whole union with God thing, but I just feel distant, you know? Or whatever that may be, maybe the question is how? You know, because Jesus is promising and he's saying, this is, this is the Holy Spirit, this is for you as you follow me. Well, how? How do we experience that? How do we live that out? And for that, I want to move. We've been talking about promises. I want to move to the pathway that God gives us, um, that, that we can increasingly experience union with God. Because he does give us a pathway, and he does, um, he does tell us how, and he does um, guide us in this same passage. And the pathway starts here. If we start in those first few verses, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands and I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. If you love me, keep my commands. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Jesus talks about union with God, but in this passage, he links it with love and obedience to him. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will send. If you love me, keep my commands, and the Father and I will come make our home in you. Right? He links it so much that he does it four times in a row throughout this passage. Verse 15, he says it. We just read it. Verse 21, I think I have it up there, but whoever has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. In verse 24, in the negative sense, anyone who doesn't love me won't obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Love and obey. Love and obey. Love and obedience. I was thinking of that song, love and marriage, love and this I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. Right? Love and obey. Jesus says you've got to have both, and they've got to be in the right order. You've got to have both, and they've got to be in the right order. Now, what do I mean by that? Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus doesn't say, obey me, and God will love you. That's good news. I don't know about you, because I, I, I don't always do the best at obeying God. Right? But it's also good news, because he hasn't laid out obedience for as, as a, a tool for us to earn God's love. No, that's out of order. He doesn't, the gospel turns everything over. Right? He doesn't say, obey me, and I will love you. No, he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. There's something deeper at work than us trying to earn God's love and earn God's closeness 
by trying to please him through obeying him. There's something deeper than that. And he also doesn't say, love me and find your own way of expressing it. (laughs) It's all good, love me, do whatever you want. It doesn't say that. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. And you keeping my commands is the evidence of your love for me. It flows out of the fact that you love me. Now, if we try to obey him without loving him, we're trying to earn that union with God. We're trying to say, God, if I do enough of what you said, then you have to be close to me. You owe me relationship. (laughs) I did what you said, right? That's actually slavery, (laughs) Because none of us can obey the commands of God, much less live up to our own standards of what it means to be a good person. Let me know if you've done that, but I don't think anyone does, right? So it's good news that that we can't obey enough to earn the love of God. And it's also good news that we can't just claim to love Jesus, but not hold on to his teaching. It's saying we don't really love him. It's saying he's the author of life, but he doesn't know how to tell me how to live. If you love me, you will obey my commands. You'll keep my commands. If we claim to do that, but we don't hold to his teaching, we're just loving ourselves, and we're just loving what we want, and we're just loving the way we want to live. But he's saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to know the spirit of God in your life more than you've ever known before, and it's going to be enhanced by the fact that you love me and obey me. You're in line with me. Let me give an example, let's say in a relationship or in a marriage. If you are desiring to please your spouse, but by fulfilling the list of duties that your spouse requires, but it's not out of love in your heart. You're just trying to earn their love. Are you really loving them? Are you loving yourself through them? Right? Maybe if I, you know, take out the trash enough and do the dishes enough, then you'll love me. (laughs) Right? Well, then I'm not doing any of those things because I love her. Right? But on the other side, if I say, I I love you, but I don't really care about what you ask me to do, that's not going to go well either. (laughs) (laughs) Babe, I love you. I'm not taking out the trash, though. I'm not going to do it. It's just not important to me. That's. Well, all right, so that's not only is that communicating that I don't love her, but that's going to be bad for my kitchen. It's going to (laughs) smell. It's going to stink up my life. I don't know how good that example was. But But Jesus says both. If you love me, you'll obey me. Now, I don't know about you. Like, there's something that just kind of irks. What irks us about that statement? If you love me, you'll obey me. I think one thing is we can't say that. That's not typically how it works in our relationships. For example, first time I told Hannah I loved her, right? I already heard an awe. (laughs) 
I'm not going to tell the whole story, but we were on a plane, and the, and the, and the uh, turbulence was so bad, like, people flew out of their seats and, like, hit their head, and, like, there was a guy, there was a retired Navy pilot next to me that says, that's the worst air, uh, turbulence I've ever been on a commercial airline. Like, I thought I was going to die. My life, you know what I mean? And I, anyways, we get off that, we're in the baggage claim, and God used that moment <laughs> for... <laughs> For me, to, for me to say, I love you, Hannah, <laughs> right? And she said, I love you too. And then right after that, I said, now, babe, if you love me, you'll obey me. <laughs> I did not say that. And I'm not advocating in any way that any of you say that. It doesn't work that way. We're not that familiar with it. Let me just say again for the record, I did not say that. <laughs> if you love me, you'll keep my commands. I didn't say that, but when Jesus is talking about us loving him, he did say it. Now, why did he say it? Here's the big question is, is it true? Because if it's true, he can say it. And if it's true, it's not only good for us, it's the best thing he could say for us. Because... It, And the other thing is, he doesn't just say it once. He says it four times. If you love me, you'll obey me. But if it's true, it's because it's the best thing for us, and it's because it's what we need to hear for our souls to be liberated and to go from being distant from God to being close to God. Jesus says it because if Jesus is God, then the center of the whole universe is love. And we're going to experience the most love when we love him. And Jesus said it because life is found in keeping God's commands. And we're going to experience the most life when we obey his commands. And so Jesus says this for our good. For our good. His commands are not burdensome. He's not giving them to say, I'm in charge. You better believe it. He gives the commands that he gives us for our own souls. Because disobeying still leads to death like it did in the garden and it still leads to separation but obeying leads to life and to closeness with God. So that's the pathway. Love and obey God. Is that a light pathway or is that heavy? You're preaching, man. <laughs> no, it's good. Here's why I think it might be heavy. How many of us have been unloving to God before? How many of us have disobeyed God before? And if we've done that, what can we do? Or maybe we've been in this direction of loving and obeying God, but we keep failing. And we keep turning aside and we keep saying, I love you, but I can't do that command. I love you, but I can't give that up. I love you, but I can't follow you here. How can you make yourself love God more or obey God more? You can try. (laughs) I don't think it's going to work. You can try to be strict outwardly and kind of set your mind to it, but it's not going to change your heart and put more affection in your heart for God. 
It's not till we see what Jesus says and does next that, that our heart really opens up. When I looked at the last couple verses, in verse 30 and 31, he says, I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn what? Pardon me. The world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly as my Father has commanded me. He said four times in a row that we've got to love him and obey him and we'll experience union with God. We'll be aligned with him. But Jesus now speaks of himself going to cross, going to the cross, and he goes to the cross because he knows that we don't perfectly love and we don't perfectly obey God. And he says, the devil's coming for me, but he has no hold on me. He can't tell me to do anything. I don't know anything to the devil. I'm doing this. Why? So that the whole world can know that I love the Father and that I do exactly what he has commanded me. Do you see it? Do you see love and obey? Do you see every time we've been too weak to love him and we've been too weak to obey him that that's why Jesus went to the cross out of perfect love for the Father, the Father's plan to save us, out of perfect obedience even to death? Do you see that our unlove and our disobedience put Jesus to death, but Jesus loved and obeyed the Father to death for you and for me? That literally every time you've disobeyed him, you can take it up to the cross and exchange it. It says that he became sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. That he obeyed the Father perfectly. And what does obedience bring? Life, right? That should be his reward. But he gave us his reward and took on our punishment on the cross. That he took on your distance from God so that you could have his nearness to God. The, scripture says that when he was on the cross, that, that the father turned his face away, and he says, why have you forsaken me, God? Jesus went through more distance and further distance from God than you will ever know. He literally became your sin and was abandoned by God so that you could be brought in. The Trinity, the, the holy perfect union of God was temporarily broken up as he became sin and was turned away so that you could be invited into that union. Do you see that? Do you see that? Does that open up your heart with love for Jesus? Only when you see that he obeyed perfectly for me and that he loved perfectly for me when I couldn't. My heart loves him more. Only then do I want to obey him out of love for him and not to get anything from him because I could never earn it. I could never earn it and I could never repay it. But because of his love, I love him. Because of his love, I love him. For every time I haven't loved God, he loved God perfectly for me. When we embrace that gospel, that good news, we're freed we're freed from obeying him to earn love and we're delivered from the lie that we can find life outside of him. It's in him. As we believe, the Bible says that when we believe in Jesus, we confess our sins and we believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and that God raised him from the dead, that we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
First Corinthians says, no, no one says Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And Romans says, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, then you're none of his. So I'm here to say that if you're here and you're his, you have the spirit in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. When, when we see what he's done for us, then our hearts are open up to love and obey, and we make room in our lives for the Holy Spirit to work his promises in us. We make room and we say, Holy Spirit, I'm weak. Would you fight for me from within me? Fight for my good from within me. Fight the lies that I'm believing. Holy Spirit, I don't know what to do, but would you teach me? Would you give me wisdom? Holy Spirit, remind me of your ways. Holy Spirit, help me to believe that even though I may not feel it right now, that you dwell in me and that I am united with God and that you promised it and that you do not break your promises. Holy Spirit. And I would say even the fact that if you're here and you're longing for that, that's evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. When we know that Jesus loved us and, and he loved us enough and he loved God perfectly and obeyed God perfectly for us, even to the cross, then our hearts are free to, to love and obey him in love. And the Holy Spirit helps us experience that union with God. Not just talk about it, but taste it. To know it. And to sense that the Holy Spirit is with me. Amen? I'm done. I want to close in prayer. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll give a, a few instructions for how we can respond to God's word today. Um, uh, let's pray. If you would, close your eyes with me. Maybe bow your heads and Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much. Good and gracious God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, though there is so much darkness and unrest in this world, or though we often sense that we may be far from you or distant from you, God, we thank you for your promises that we've heard today, that we don't have to be distant from you, God. We don't, have to, we, we don't have to be orphans. We don't have to be estranged in this world from you, God. You said that you will come to us, God. And you have done that. You have fulfilled that promise. Lord, I pray that that would come alive, that that truth would come alive in the hearts of the people that are here today. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would do the work I've been talking about. Lord, if there's doubts right now in the heart of someone who needs to believe in you, I pray that you would advocate for them and that you would fight for them from within. Lord, I pray right now that someone who has never been filled with your presence would be filled with the Holy Spirit. If there's someone in here today who you've never come to faith in Jesus, but your heart's burning right now, you can begin that relationship with Jesus. It just means admitting, God, I've done wrong and I've sinned, and, and I know I deserve death, but I, I, I know that you took on that death for me on the cross, and you gave me life forever with you, and I trust you, and I want to walk with you. I want to be yours. God, I pray that that would be true for someone today. Lord, I pray for someone who's known you for a long time, 
but their heart is stale, God, or their heart is cold. I pray for the warmth that you bring, Lord. I pray that these wouldn't just be words and it wouldn't be another sermon, God, but Holy Spirit, that you would activate these words and that you would activate their faith and that you would energize them from within, Lord. They would feel and know you, God. God, we thank you for this word. I pray that you make us a church characterized, Holy Spirit, by you, by you leading us and guiding us to serve and to bless this city, serve and to bless the people already in our lives and those you would lead us to. Lord, we need you. Help us to love you more and obey you more and experience more of that union with you that you have purchased for us with your blood and that you have given us a promise with your resurrection. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.